I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. And today we're continuing our series on the red letters. And as I mentioned the last few weeks, uh, if you have a Bible that uh, in the New Testament has Jesus's words um, written in red, uh, you know very well what we're talking about when, when I say the red letters. And uh, over these weeks, we're talking specifically about uh, those I am statements that Jesus made um, during his time of ministry. And uh, today, again, we're going, to, uh, we're going to address another one of those I am statements. As I've said in the last few weeks, uh, when Jesus made these statements, uh, he made them in, uh, in context. Um, when he said, I'm the light of the world, he was in the, the front uh, area of the, the temple. And uh, there uh, we learned there were torches and uh, it was just that time of the, the year. It was a, a, a feast and a celebration that was going on. And Jesus walks into that courtyard and he says, I'm the light of the world. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, Jesus' I am statement of I am the good shepherd. And it was a familiar scene in Israel that uh, there were sheep and shepherds all around. So people knew the context in which he was talking about. Well, today, this morning in John 15, this context <clears throat> is incredibly important. And the, the context that we find ourselves in and Jesus is in here is in Jerusalem. And he's meeting with his disciples and, and he's actually just sent them on ahead to prepare for this Passover feast that they're going to, to uh, partake of together. So he sent his disciples into the city of Jerusalem to make these preparations. And the writer, John here, transports us ahead into this setting. It's called the, the dinner discourse or the meal discourse. And this, this uh, account of what happened in this upper room when Jesus gathered with his disciples. And in John 13, 14, and 15, we have this account. Um, at first, we, uh, you, you might be familiar with some of the things that took place in that upper room. Uh, you have Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Um, uh, the, the point that sticks out in my mind, uh, the part that sticks out in my mind is when Peter says, uh, no, don't wash my feet. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to wash your feet. And he says, well, okay, then wash all of me. And uh, Jesus says, no, 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 let's not go to that extent. And, and there's just some of these, uh, at least in my mind, some of these humorous parts that are going on, even though the, there's a serious note. Uh, Jesus uh, then goes on and he picks up the bread and he picks up the cup and, and we read that he goes on and he, he dips the bread in the, in the cup and, and he passes it to Judas and he says, uh, you're going uh, to betray me. And uh, there's, so there's a heaviness that, that's going on in this narrative as well. Um, the next part of the, the story goes on to talk about Jesus identifying um, Peter as the one who will deny him. And Peter's saying, I'll die for you. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, go to the ends of the earth for you. And Jesus turns to him and says, no, you won't. you're going to deny me. So there's this, this heaviness. Jesus goes on and, and, and talks about that, that he's not going to be around much longer. He's going to the Father. And his disciples would be left behind, but they'd have the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. Jesus would leave them with a comforter. So there's this Passover meal. This is the setting that Jesus is speaking in. And he talks about this cup that he's holding in his hand, this cup of wine. And look at John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, 
and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. And in verse four, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Again, this is a living illustration. Um, Jesus was in Israel. And Israel was this place that was full of vineyards and olive trees. And they they were all over the place. I I was reading this week that even in Herod's temple, remember the temple where Jesus in the courtyard said, I'm the light of the world? In that temple was was a, a sculpture it was this gold sculpture that was of a, of a vine with grapes on it. And even in the temple was this, this uh, understanding that, that there was uh, the importance of the grapevine and the grapes. Israel was a hot and arid place. It was dusty. And yet there were crops growing. And everyone knew that there was no way for these things to grow and for these crops to produce unless they were healthy and nourished and cared for. Look down at verse five, John chapter 15. Jesus continues and he says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You know, again, like other stories, Jesus includes and he refers to some some elements just like last week we were talking about the the sheep and the sheep pan and the the gatekeeper and the fields in this story Jesus has some elements as well he has the vine and he has the branches he has the fruit and he has the gardener there's there's these elements that he incorporates into the story and these were all things that Jesus's listeners his disciples here in this upper room were familiar with it's like Texas, we have pecan trees, we have wildflowers. I was driving down the, the road uh, a couple days ago, down on 380, and the, the, the wildflowers are starting to show. These are things that are familiar to us. Just like those who Jesus was speaking to, they knew what a vine looked like, they knew what the grapes looked like, they knew what the fruit looked like. You know, when I was a kid, I think I've told you this story before, but uh, um, we'd go in the summer, to visit my grandparents, and they, uh, they owned an orchard. It wasn't a big orchard, but it was a fruit, fruit orchard. And a couple of weeks, every summer, it was in August that we would go. It was at the end of apricot season, and it was the beginning of peach season. And I was always, at that age, I was always a, a, an early riser. And I'd get up early, and my grandmother would get up early as well. And so we'd kind of um, meet in the kitchen. And I knew she was going out for a walk in the orchard every morning. So I'd tag along with her. And I remember this vividly to this day. Every morning we'd get up and we'd, we'd walk the rows of the orchard. And my grandmother would go and she'd, she'd pick up fruit that had fallen off of the tree the night before. She'd pick up the, these branches that had, had fallen. 
she'd prop up branches. She had these sticks that kind of had a, a V in it, and she'd prop up these branches that were being weighed down by the, the fruit that was on them. And, and then in other trees, she would, she would grab a branch, and she'd snap it off, and she'd, she'd um, uh, break off or prune some branches, branches that were stunted or um, other ones that were thriving. And, and in order to, to make the fruit um, grow larger. It was a vivid and important picture for us to examine that Jesus was, was portraying here. There were, like I said, there were a number of elements, and the first one he talked about was the vine. The vine he talked about was, wasn't a wimpy, uh, lifeless vine. It was a robust vine. It wasn't brittle or fragile. It was a symbol of life and health and provision and even in a dry, desert-like environment, so this was something that, that people latched onto, and they knew that Jesus was talking about a life-giving vine. Well, as he talked about the vine, he was talking about himself, the source of everything that we need. Jesus Christ is the source of all that we need. He is the giver of life, that which nourishes, that, that which feeds, that which produces just like as I was walking out in the orchard with my grandmother, you look at a tree and that trunk is that which gives life to the rest of the, the tree. So Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who you must stay connected to. And then he, he talks about the branches. He says, that's you. And for us in, in 2020, Crossroads Church, that's you and me. We are the branches. Jesus is talking to us. He says, we need to stay connected. We need to stay fed. And the branches, just like branches on a tree, they're provided for because they're unable to care for themselves on their own. They're unable to provide for themselves. And in this illustration, Jesus continues on and he refers to these branches and he, he expressed, I don't know if you noticed this, but he expressed that, that not all the branches were the same. He said, some branches are healthy and some are not. You see, they're, they're in very, varying de degrees of health. Some are producing fruit, some are not. It's just like my grandmother's orchard. There were some branches that were strong and they were thriving, producing a lot, and then there are others that weren't. And it all had to do with their connection to the, the main trunk of the tree. You know, some of those branches were, were kind of crimped or maybe broken as a, maybe a tractor was going down one of the rows it rubbed up against a branch and cracked it or broken it. And you could tell that, that the branch wasn't healthy and those branches need to, needed to be removed. You see, Jesus uses the word remain a number of times here. Other, other versions, uh, English Standard Version and other versions, uh, it, it talks about, uh, he uses the word uh, abide. Maybe when you memorized uh, John 15 or verses from John 15 uh, when you were a kid, you, you heard that word a lot, the word abide. It's a term that's used 11 times in this, sh in this short section. And it's this encouragement that, that the, the, the branches would stay connected to the vine and that we would stay connected with Christ so that his life can flow and work in us and through us to produce the fruit. We're supposed to stay connected in order to produce fruit. Jesus says, if not, you can't do it. 
If you're not connected, you, you can do nothing. You know, it's something I was reading in a commentary this week that uh, a grapevine branch can survive and even produce foliage. It can produce leaves even if it's, it's severed from the vine. But one thing they did mention was that it, when it's severed from the vine, it cannot produce fruit. It has to be connected to the vine. And in an agrarian culture, the, the disciples would have known this. So as Jesus is talking, they're identifying with that which he's, he's speaking about. It's a potent picture of intimacy and this connectedness. He's saying, remain in me. Allow my word to remain in you and ask, 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 and it will be done. You are my disciples. And he's talking about this sweet spot of this relationship that, that if it works as it should, it, it does what it's supposed to do. You see, if a vine is working as it should, it's going to produce fruit the way it's supposed to. If a, if an, a tree in an orchard, a, a, a fruit tree is, is functioning as it should and it's working as it should, it will produce fruit the way it's supposed to. So here we have the vine and the branches. And then Jesus goes on a little further and he talks about the gardener. The gardener in his story is his father in heaven, God the Father. And as I got thinking about this, I got thinking about my grandmother wandering and walking through the orchard. She was the one who was responsible for the care and the nurture of the orchard. She was the overseer. She was the one who cultivated and enabled the fruit to grow. I remember specifically there'd be these branches that would have a number of, of uh, peaches all crammed together. And she'd start breaking off a couple of of peaches. And I'd say, Grandma, why are you, why are you taking those peaches off? They're, they're peaches, they're fruit. She says, if I don't take those two off, they'll all grow to a point where they're not developed. She says, I have to take these two off in order to allow that one to develop. And so there was some pruning that would go on. There was this caring and this maintaining of the orchard. And this maintaining of the overall health and well-being of the tree is that which, which our Father in heaven, heaven does. It's like the gatekeeper last week. The protection and care, the feeding, the nurture, and ultimately enabling the, the purpose of the sheep. And this is what the gardener does in Jesus' story of the, of the vineyard. You know, I think sometimes we get an unhealthy picture of what the gardener is like. I think sometimes we get an unhealthy picture of what we think God is like. I think sometimes we get feeling like God is this gruff and angry overseer, this, this police officer sitting there with the, the radar gun waiting for us to step over, over the line or go a little too fast and is going to come and, and, and dish out the punishment for us. This gardener who is making life awful for us. That's an unhealthy picture. I think on the other hand, there's a healthy picture of what a gardener is like. What in this case, God our Father is like. You see, I believe that God has our best interest in mind just like a gardener has the best interest of the vineyard in mind. Just like my grandmother had the, the best interest of the orchard in mind. You know, sometimes that's corrective. 
Sometimes that's caring. Sometimes that's encouraging. And, and sometimes, believe it or not, that, that can come across as harsh. Hebrews 12, verse 5 says, My dear child, and I want to repeat that because that's important. My dear child, my dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline. Don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The, the child he embraces, he also corrects. This is, this is the writer to the Hebrews saying, God corrects and God brings discipline because he loves over in Romans 11, verse 22, Paul is talking to the Romans and he says, make sure you stay alert of these qualities of gentle kindness and ruthless severity that exist side by side in God. Did you get that? There's this gentle kindness and ruthless severity that coexist in God himself. This is who God is. Paul goes on to say he's ruthless with the dead wood. He's referring to the Pharisees. And he's gentle with the grafted shoot. And in this case, he was talking about the Gentiles. Or the Gentiles. The dead wood was the Pharisees. The, the grafted shoot, the Gentiles. And like the shepherd and like the farmer, this is a good illustration for us to, to wrap our minds around. I, let me use the illustration of a parent. We're no good if we simply stand back and let things go. Could you imagine just right in your house right now, if you just said, hey, go at it, kids. Have at it. I'm just going to kind of smile and let you do what you want to do. That wouldn't be a loving gesture to your kids. You know, our kids don't like it when we have to correct, but we do it because we love them. And so what the writer of the Hebrews talked about, that God corrects those he loves. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. He does what he does. Our Father in heaven does what he does so that each and every one of us will thrive. So that each and every one of us will live out our God-given purpose and our God-given destiny and see the results. God wants to do that for you. God comes in and God does what he does because he has your best interest in mind. He wants you to thrive. He wants you to fulfill the purpose that he's laid out for you. And that leads to the objective. God, is the, father, God the Father's objective is that in and through Christ Jesus, you would produce the fruit. That's the objective. That is God's number one goal is that you would have the fulfillment of, of, of reaching that potential that he's laid out for you and that's producing fruit. And that's the fourth element that Jesus brings up in this story. He talks about the fruit. It's the ultimate purpose of the vine. It's the ultimate purpose of a pecan tree that you drive by on, on your way driving the kids to school or going to the grocery store. It's the ultimate goal of a, of a fruit tree in an orchard that it would bear fruit. And your purpose as a Christ follower is to produce fruit, to fulfill the purpose that God has created you for. Over in Galatians 5, Paul brings this to, to light. And he says there's really two products that can be the result of our lives. Two different ways to live and two different products of those ways of living. 
The results are different and they're based on the way that we live. Paul says one is that we live according to the flesh. We live in a way that is displeasing to God. Another one is living according to the Spirit. One is connected to Christ. The other is disconnected from Him. And you you see, Paul goes on to say that each one of those settings and each one of those arrangements produces a different kind of fruit. He says, if you live in according to the flesh and you're disconnected or severed from Christ, the product is obvious. He says it's it's sexual immorality and impurity and idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. He goes on, he says, these are the fruits or the product when we're not connected to the vine, when we're not connected to Christ. But he goes on and he says, but if you are, if you're living by the Spirit, the, the product of that life is obvious. You'll produce fruit. And he goes on to say, that is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of our lives when we're connected with the Lord. I'm inviting the worship team to come up and join me. This is the picture that Jesus painted. A thriving plant that results are obvious. A thriving plant that produces fruit. And this is the overarching message that Jesus says, is I want you to abide or remain in me. I want you to stay connected. I want you to be resourced. I want you to to receive all that you need and all that you have from me. So what does that look like? What does that look like for you? When, When I simply say, Jesus wants us to abide in him, what does that mean? It's a good question. Picture I get in my mind is one of a house and you're sitting in your home right now. Think about abiding in your home or remaining in your home. What do you do? I think the first part of that is, and I'm going to use the word surrender. What you're doing to abide in your house is you're surrendering and you're saying, you know what, I'm not going to abide or I'm not going to live in the house down the street. I'm going to live in this house. This is the house I'm, I'm committing to. It's one of surrender. It's a choice. And I believe that now more than ever is a time in our society, time in our culture that we need to make that decision to abide in Christ. So the first one, surrender. Another way we abide or another way we remain is we spend time. You spend time in your home. That's how you abide in your home. You spend time there. Let me ask you this question. How much time do you spend remaining in Christ? Is it a fraction of a month? Is it a fraction of a week? Is it a fraction of a day? Is it a fraction of an hour? What, what, what is it? I invite you to think about that. How can you spend time? Because that, that goes hand in hand with remaining or abiding. It's another way that you can do that. And the third one is this. It's serving. I think sometimes in that, that term we get in our mind is, is doing and busy and, and serving. I'm, I'm, I'm serving a meal. I'm, I'm serving someone. I'm going to helping them with something. But let me put it a little differently. 
I believe it has to do with our identity and our purpose and what God wants from us, and that is producing fruit. You know, the, the producing of fruit is a flow-through. I want to share this with you. I read this this week. He says, this one commentator wrote, he says, we must remember that the branches do not eat the fruit. You ever thought about it that way? The branches don't eat the fruit. Others do. So as we're producing fruit, as you're producing fruit, as you're carrying on that God-given identity and living that out, it's for others to be blessed by. We're not producing fruit to please ourselves, but to serve others. We should be the kind of people who feed others by our words and our works, our deeds, those things that are glorifying to God. And that's what God wants to do in you and through you. That's how we abide. I invite you to bow your heads. Let's pray together. Father God, first of all, we surrender our lives to you. I invite you right in your home right now. I want you to just pray a prayer of surrender. Guaranteed there's been other things that are vying for your attention. Other locations that, and you, I guess, uh, could say you're connecting to. But Christ's encouragement to his disciples and Christ's encouragement to us is that we'd stay connected to him. And that involves surrender. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to spend time with you, spend time in your presence. And Lord, out of that, this flow through would take place and our lives would produce fruit. It would be this flow through, it would be a, a blessing to the end user. Lord, I pray for families. I pray for young people, boys and girls who are listening right now. I pray for men and women, husbands and wives. I pray for our young people. I pray for our college age students. Lord, that we'd be able to wrap our mind around exactly what you were talking about, how we can abide in you. Because Lord, you say you are the vine, we're the branches we're called to produce fruit. So make that true in us today. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.